I want to begin by reading from Job chapter 1. Uh, you can turn there. You don't have to. You can just listen. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses, not the whole story. I know many of us are somewhat familiar with Job's story, uh, some of you more than others. But um, yeah, Job deals with a lot of pain. Job deals with a lot of grief. And as I said, we're uh, kind of continuing some of what we talked about yesterday. This is uh, somewhat of a part two. Uh, but let's hear from God's word, Job 1. I'll start in verse 1, and then I'll skip, skip around a little bit. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> this is God's word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, if you skip down to, to verse 9, this is kind of crazy, but God and Satan are having a conversation. That's kind of crazy. Uh, verse 9, Satan says to God, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge, and he means a, a protection, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And as you continue to read, all of Job's possessions are taken, are destroyed. His livestock and camels, sheep, oxen. This tells us Job was a very wealthy man. All of it's taken from him. And then worst of all, his children are killed. The house that they're all in collapses. And all this information comes to Job. And then he says this in verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Y'all can be seated and I'll pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, we, we thank you for uh, giving us this story that we know is baffling in many ways, that raises a lot of questions in our hearts and minds, but at the same time, I hope and pray brings us a lot of comfort. Uh, for one thing, we can see you are sovereign over pain. You're reigning and ruling over pain. We, we know that you're good. We've talked about your fatherly care over the last couple of days. Uh, we ask that you would help us as we continue to think about life in a broken world, that the stress that that can cause, the, the anxieties that we wrestle with, the, the worry that we will have because of sin's horrible effects and how it poisons all of creation. I pray that even in the midst of some very sobering realities in this world, some very tough things to deal with, that you would help us to be encouraged. As we said, your word does not sugarcoat life in a broken world. So, Spirit, be with us today as we're, we're talking about just heavy things again, and be with us as we are no doubt tired, and be with us as we just read, there is a real devil who hates 
who wants to bring about pain, who simply wants us uh, to, to keep from, from hearing your word. So, Spirit, I pray that your word would go forth now and that uh, you would apply it to the hearts of all those who are listening, myself included, and help us to learn from you. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, so, so just a little bit of a review, because we had to hurry a little bit <clears throat> yesterday and kind of rush through some of this, and we'll be talking about this more uh, today and kind of fleshing it out, but just a, a theology of pain that we talked about. And if you remembered, uh, when we're talking about anxiety, that is a form of pain, uh, you know, on the spectrum of pain that we, we, we spoke about yesterday, uh, that worry, stress, all of that fits on this uh, spectrum. But we said that because we have souls that will never die that are inside of us, these souls have a knowledge of the Garden of Eden and a knowledge of glory. That inside of us is this soul that, that is telling us that, that is hardwired for perfection. Okay? And so when pain comes into our life, our soul is telling us this isn't normal. Okay, when pain comes into our lives in whatever form it takes, our soul is screaming, this is not what we were created for. Okay, that we were not made for this. And, and, and oftentimes, it makes us hide, right? When, when, when these difficult things come in, we run and hide to get away from whatever is bothering us, whatever is causing us pain. And we need to see that that's just natural, Okay? That it's normal to want to get away from things that, that bring pain in our life. Um, that, that's why as we talk about pain, as I, I talked about yesterday, uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, as Jesus Christ said. And I got very specific here saying that that means some of you might vomit today because you get dehydrated. Some of you might have sunburn today. Some of you might tear your knuckles open and gaga ball. And that makes us feel uncomfortable when we hear those, that specific talk. It's because of this in our, it's because of our soul inside of us that we don't like to, to hear about pain because we weren't made for that. Death is not normal, okay? We were not created for that. And so again, as we, we talked about this spectrum of pain and suffering, yesterday we kind of got to the milder end of this spectrum, looking at awkwardness, if you remember. Awkwardness, we, we might think it's too strong to label it. It's a form of, of pain, but it is painful when we go through these awkward situations in life, you know, gossiping behind somebody's back. And then we looked at your schedules, and we looked at all that you're dealing with. And so now we come to this question, why not worry? Okay? Why, why shouldn't we worry? Again, we looked at one day in your life, and there were plenty of reasons for you to worry. Jesus Christ even making the statement sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying there's stuff that's going to happen that can cause us to worry. So why shouldn't we worry? Well, looking kind of to the other end of the spectrum, I wanted to tell you a story about a good friend of mine named Josh. Um, Josh was uh, one of my best friends probably in middle school and high school. Um, Josh was one of those guys we would say, uh, never met a stranger. Do y'all know what I mean when I say that? That Josh, he would talk to anybody. If you were in a line somewhere, he would just turn around and start talking to the person behind him, even if he didn't know, and just carry on a conversation. 
Um, sometimes we'd have to say, Josh, stop talking, because he just talked so much. He's this very likable guy. And Josh had a disease um, that gave him a life expectancy from around 18 years old to 21. Uh, raise your hand if you fall in that range, 18 to 21. Let me see, show of hands. Okay, that was his life expectancy. Um, he was often sick, often sounded like he had a cold. And uh, he did die shortly after he finished uh, school, headed off to Ole Miss Law School, um, and he passed away. And, you know, we didn't talk a lot about his disease, his sickness, uh, when, when, he, when he was around. In many ways, I just kind of wanted to ignore it and not really think about it. Um, but, but I have questions now, you know, questions that maybe I would have asked or wish I would ask, but... Um, yeah, I mean, some of them as I'm a parent now. I'm a father of, of five children. And I mean, one of those questions is, how could his parents look him in the eyes and say, Josh, you might not live very long. Josh, you have a, a sickness that gives you a short life expectancy. How could, how could parents look in their, the eyes of their child and say that. And, and what age do they communicate that? What age do they think, okay, it's time to let Josh know he has this disease? I mean, this disease is diagnosable around the age of two. I know for certain he knew he had the sickness when he was in high school. So that means he, he was living his high school years knowing that he might not make it through high school. And that he was often limited in what he could do because he would get so sick at times. And then I also wonder, you know, how did Josh feel knowing this? How did Josh feel knowing, okay, I just want to be able to kind of experience normal high school years? I can remember being over at his house one day, and a nurse came over, which was very common, and uh, she was talking to him about some new medication he could possibly take, and it would require him having a port put in his side, which is a, you know, a tube that was permanently put into his side and would you know, be attached to some kind of medication that would just constantly be uh, pumped into him. And uh, she was communicating to him and said, you know, you'll have to wear a fanny pack to carry this around. And, uh, and you know, fanny packs are making a comeback, but in the 90s, they were not. And um, you know, the nurse is sitting here, Josh is sitting at a table, I'm kind of standing behind him, and I just saw tears start to hit the table. And I know Josh knew 500 people would buy a fanny pack the next day and wear it to school because they love Josh. So it wasn't just that he had to wear a fanny pack, it was just, why? Why do I have to deal with this? You know, why do I have to have this? Why can't I just have a normal high school life? And so I bring that story up for, for many reasons, but, but I mean, one of them is the reality. You know, we'll read verses like Matthew 6, and we read, Jesus Christ says, do not worry. Should you look at Josh's parents and say, do not worry? Should you look at Josh and say, hey, don't worry? 
You see, we can throw around these verses, we can know these verses, we can believe these verses, but when you bring them to street level, and you bring them into reality, it can be really hard. I mean, for us to say, do not worry uh, to this family, not only sounds impossible, it sounds offensive, right? What do we say to people dealing with things like this? Um, how can we cling to, to the reality of Matthew 6 that we read yesterday when we know things like this happen? I mean, asking this question, why not worry? I mean, why not? Again, I, I have five children. And I, there are all sorts of things that could happen, from disease to kidnapping to just, I mean, the ocean, when my children are out there and near it, especially the ones that cannot swim as well. And so one important thing you need to know as we're in this discussion of worry, and I'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, concern is not worry. Okay, you need to know that. Okay? Concern is not worry. Um, raise your hand. If you love anyone at all in your life, anyone, okay, every hand should go up, including yourself. I mean, you probably love yourself more than anyone. Just that's what scripture typically <laughs> tells us. Um, love others as you love yourself, right? Um, that means you're going to be tempted to worry. If you love anyone in this world, you're going to be tempted to worry. You're going to have concern, Okay? That, again, there are all these issues, I mean, just taking my children as an example, all of these dangers that could happen to my children. And if I just lie awake at night and can never go to sleep because of those dangers, that's worry. That's anxiety. But if I just know, okay, these are out there and I cannot just dwell on them, I cannot constantly just churn them around in my mind, but I am going to take precautions to protect my children, like, you know, not letting certain children that are here this week cross that road, right? My older children, I can, but just taking precautions of, Will, Amber, you cannot cross the street by yourself. Daddy's going to be with you, okay? That's showing concern, all right? We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow, but it's important to bring that up, okay? That concern is not worry. And so life in a broken world, when you have people you love and care about, you're going to have concern. You're going to be tempted to give into worry, which another way to, to describe worry is just over-concern, dwelling on this so much, okay? And so what we need to see, as we said, is that pain makes us run and hide. Or to, to phrase it, our anxieties make us run and hide. And so as I asked you on the first day to consider, okay, where are you hiding? To be thinking about where are you hiding? I wanted to use a, an example from a movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, Avengers Endgame, it's kind of small, I think, uh, yeah, uh, documented art house movie. Um, so look, I'm not giving away too many spoilers. Who saw this movie? Okay. Who saw Infinity War? Like the world, right? Okay, so backing up to Infinity World, not trying to give too much away, but half the world died in Infinity War. Okay, I know most people should know that. Isn't it half the world? Is that correct to say that? Marvel Universe people? Okay. Um, and what's interesting to me about Avengers Endgame is that it picks up 
with this theme of grief, with this theme of suffering, with this theme of pain. And some people are like, I, Avengers Endgame was, was too slow. It started off too slow. Like, half the world died. <laughs> uh, superheroes can get sad too, right? Uh, it's okay to, to have this, this theme of grief in it. Um, and, and to me, that's what was interesting. I mean, that was a theme that I, I appreciated about the movie because it's a theme that resonates with all of humanity. Having loss and grief. And then how the characters dealt with uh, their suffering. Captain America, for example, started a kind of self-help program, right? He tries to give just this encouragement to people who are going through their grief, going through their loss. And later, Captain America even says he doesn't even believe it. He just feels like since he's a superhero, <laughs> that's his job, is giving hope to people, even though he didn't necessarily have hope. But that's how he was dealing with his grief and trying to help others deal with their grief. Black Widow, she just kept herself busy. She did not want to stop and think about all the loss she had gone through, all the pain that she had gone through. So she just thought, if I keep myself busy, I don't have to stop and think about it. I don't have to stop and think about pain, which is what many of us do. Now, if you think about Hawkeye, he basically became a murderer, right? He took the law into his own hands. He became, you know, vigilante justice. That so much was taken from him, he wanted to absolutely destroy any form of evil that was left in this world. And he gets so, you know, um, far gone in that story that even as Black Widow comes up to him and tries to give him hope that maybe what was taken from him can be restored, he interrupts her and he says, don't give me hope. He was clinging to this justice that he was bringing about because of the pain he had had in his life. When we think of Thor, I know those who saw the movie know it. I mean, when I say fat Thor, that it was humorous in the movie. It was kind of comedic, but it's not funny. If you think about it, Thor became an alcoholic. Thor could not, he was not powerful enough to stop the grief that came about, and so he just had to numb himself with alcohol and Fortnite. He just wanted to distract himself from that and keep his mind off of the pain. Iron Man, he just retreated, right? He went into hiding because he had been through pain, because he had been through suffering, because he had a family he wanted to protect. He just wanted to get away from everyone to protect his loved ones from anything else happening to them. And so it's an interesting thing to consider that when pain came about in their lives, when grief came about into their life, they all tried to fix it in a certain way. We could say just kind of the way we're talking, they all tried to hide in a certain way. And what's interesting is the movie showed that none of it helped them. That all of the ways in which they tried to fix this grief in their life, it only made things worse. And so kind of getting you to ask that question, how do you deal with your anxiety? How do you deal with the pain that comes about in your life? 
as we said on day one, there's only one place for us to hide, ultimately. There's only one place for us to run to. As we talked about hiding in Jesus Christ, running to God, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. As a child of God, our grief, our anxiety, our, our stress should make us run to God and to seek his help. That's something we're going to discuss more tomorrow, but, but getting us to look at other places that we hide, other places that we can run to. And if you remember from day one, I said there's a sense in which, yes, God is the ultimate place we, we, we hide. God is the ultimate place we, we run to. There are other places we can run to that are a grace from God, okay, but they're not an ultimate source of peace, okay? Let, let me say it this way, try to explain it this way. You can sincerely, when we think about the word worship, we often think of church services and maybe coming together, singing, preaching. You can sincerely worship God through a great meal, okay? Like, I, I've used this before, some of you might have heard me. If I had warm chocolate chip cookies and milk, I worship God. It's the best dessert on the face of the planet. You're wrong if you disagree with me on that. Um, I'm kidding. You can have your own favorite, whatever your favorite dessert is. You can bite into bacon and worship God. You could eat a good steak and worship God. But he's the one who invented all of these foods with all of their tastes. And as you eat them and you enjoy them, you can sincerely, I'm not exaggerating, worship God. And you should worship God and give him thanks for those things. But it's a mistake to just bow down to the chocolate chip cookie. Say, thank you, chocolate. We worship the giver of the gift, okay? And what I want you to see is we talk about some of these places where you run to hide from the pain that comes about in your life. Most of these things I'm bringing up are good things. Most of these things are actually a grace from God but because of our sinful hearts, we can end up worshiping the gift and not the giver of the gift. That God can bring relief to us in the midst of our suffering through a variety of ways, but ultimately, he's the source. Does all of that make sense to you? Any questions there? I want to make sure I'm communicating that clearly to you. Okay, so, so asking this question, how do you deal with your anxiety? I think one of the main, if we kind of had to say the broad category of how we often deal with our anxiety, it'd probably fall under distraction. Distraction. I think this is one of the main ways uh, that we can bring about temporary relief in our life. That if we're very stressed about something, if our life, maybe it's all the, these tests we're studying for, this test that's on the horizon, and we're just kind of behind, and we've got you know, a test in multiple classes that's tomorrow, and we just can distract ourselves. And we get our minds off of all of those tests or whatever it is that's causing stress, and the distraction actually brings about some relief. But it's temporary. It doesn't bring about, you know, ultimate relief, ultimate peace. And, and one of the ways I think we distract ourselves is through relationships. Again, a good gift from God right? We are created for relationships. 
but just getting you to think about your life. Are you the type of person that cannot survive without just always being around other people? You're always in a group. You're always maybe even getting into dating relationships, always dating, always needing to have that where you're just completely immersed in relationships, never alone at all. Because relationships are good, but solitude can be a good thing. It's important for us to actually have time alone. And so just getting you to think about that. Are relationships the ways in which you kind of, whenever you, you get stressed out in life, you reach out to a, a friend. That can be a good thing. But then asking yourself, how often are you running to God? You know, have you turned your friendships into a false God to be the ultimate source of your comfort and your peace? That's where we have to be cautious of this not becoming an idol. But then there are some of you who maybe are more introverted. And so you seek isolation. Paul David Tripp and, and Tim Lane have a book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making that I think are back, is back there on the, the table. I think Ken's nodding. Um, they said, all of us, look, we're kind of on a spectrum. We're either introverts or extroverts. And I know there can be some crossover. It's not like we're just one or the other. But, but oftentimes we either seek immersion in relationships. We're on that end of the spectrum, always needing them, or isolation. We'd rather be alone. And what you need to see is that sometimes this is how you control the chaos in your life. People stress you out. I think that's a jet, everybody. It's not the end of the world. I saw some big eyes up. So look, um, we, can, we can control the stress in our lives because people are stressing us out, so we're just going to get away from people. Okay, and that can be good. Again, Jesus sought times of solitude, but, but to look at that, are you a person who's always seeking isolation, always seeking to get away from the chaos to try to control and calm the situation? Some ways we can distract ourselves are just busyness or to use uh, Black Widow is an example, just keeping busy. Are you the type of person who can never stop? Who's in multiple clubs, you have all these hobbies going on, you're always doing some kind of work, you can never take a break from, from any kind of studying, but you're just always staying busy. And that maybe, you know, your anxiety is, okay, you've prepared for the test tomorrow, but it's never enough. You just continue to stay up and study and study and study and study and study and not realize it, like you actually need rest for the test as well. So maybe that's the way you kind of distract yourself from, from some of the stress in your life. And I think one of the major distractions for us is, is entertainment. That when, when stress, when anxiety comes into our life or pain or grief, whatever form, again, on this, this spectrum... This is one of the, the primary ways in which we distract ourselves. And, and really, some of what this gets at, too, is, you know, one of the biggest idols I think we all have in our lives is the idol of fun, that we just want to have fun 24-7. Like, we're always, we want to do this fun thing, but then we're also worried about missing out on that fun thing, and so we can't make decisions, but whenever we do this fun thing, it's like, well, now let's stay up later and do this next fun thing. Let's continue to have fun. And so 
I think fun is a major idol in our lives. And we need to, to realize that, look, if we're Christians, we follow after the man Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the man of sorrows. Now, we're following after Jesus, who on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Where is fun in all of that? <laughs> that yes, here's the reality of that kind of idol. You were created for unending joy. And so in your longing after fun, that's where the origin is. Again, pain is not what you were created for. Your soul knows I'm supposed to have fun. I'm supposed to have joy that never stops. But this side of heaven, it does stop. This side of heaven, we're going to have plenty of things that will move us to mourn. And so where do you, kind of thinking, where do you find fun? Okay, where, where, where does your source of entertainment? Maybe it's novels for some of you. Maybe it's the world of books, which I would have laughed out loud if somebody said that when I was in, in high school because I never read. I hated reading. But maybe for some of you, that's where you go. It's just like, oh, I just cannot wait to leave this group at school. They're horrible. They make me feel terrible about myself. Let me go just run away with Harry Potter in a book and read about Hogwarts. Let me go, you know, escape to Lord of the Rings or whatever your book is. And again, that can be a good thing. God is the master storyteller who invented all stories ultimately. And when we can escape into a world like that, that is awesome. And that can be a gift, and that can be a blessing. But if every time you're stressed, this is where you're running, you're kind of putting a Band-Aid over the problem. You're not dealing with it. You're not thinking about it. I mean, the same for some of you. Maybe it's, you know, online gaming. Maybe there's a sense in which you struggle at school to have these deep friendships and that people have made it hard for you. Again, maybe people have not welcomed you, but you know... When you get online, you have friends that are across the globe that you can interact with, interact with, that you have friends that you can share whatever game it is, and you can have that joy together. But maybe that's how you deal with your stress. Maybe that's where you go to, to relieve some of your anxieties. Maybe it's streaming movies, Netflix, Amazon, whatever it is. And that's why binge-watching is often a thing. We don't want the fun to stop. We don't want to leave this story because then we have to come back to our story. We have to come back to our reality. And so we're just watching movie after movie after movie, television show after television show, just to try to keep ourselves distracted from that. I mean, YouTube would be a very similar thing. Maybe you're more into just watching, you know, cringe-worthy videos or uh, people who have fails and injure themselves in multiple ways. Maybe it's some kind of sporting channel that you follow, an athletic team, whatever it may be. And then the reality is that rarely do any of you just do one of these things, right? How many screens are we typically looking at at the same time? You know, we've got we're binge-watching something while also having our smartphone in our hands. 
And so thinking of, I mean, oftentimes, I mean, this is kind of the, the easy one to focus on. Kind of zooming in on social media. I'm not going to talk a lot about this. I know Kurt's got an entire class on it. But because our phones are with us, typically wherever we go, that's often the place that we hide the most. That whenever we're, we're stressed or we just pull our phones out, but we're trying to see, you know, what, what it is we're missing. Um, as I said yesterday, uh, you guys are the most stressed, you know, in United States history. That depression and anxiety is four times as high among the iGen generation, which is a label that's been thrown out there. And kind of asking the question why, because we said anxiety has been around since Genesis 3, but smartphones haven't. And I've got a smartphone. I have social media platforms. I do not think these things are evil. Hear me clearly. I think technology is a gift from God. As Christians, we are supposed to advance, technologically speaking. We have to be pro-technology, and I don't have time to get into all of that. But Genesis 1 and 2 explains that. So please, as I'm talking about this, know that I'm not anti-technology. I'm not against technology. But I will tell you, the research seems to show this is why you guys are stressed. I mean, there's a 300-page book back there that's fairly clear that this is why you guys are feeling these increased levels of anxiety. And so just kind of asking how does technology feed our anxiety, just thinking briefly on this, and again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, so I'll go somewhat quickly. One thing you have to see about technology is that it is godlike. Okay, and here's what I mean by that, and again, I'm going kind of quick. Um, it's omnipresent, okay, technology. Like, where is the internet, if I ask you that question? Everywhere. I mean, in a sense, not to the sense that God's everywhere, but it's pretty much everywhere. It's omniscient. What's a question you can ask Google that it cannot answer? Okay, everything. Like, I mean, what could we ask? It's not omniscient to the degree that God is. It's omnipotent. It is very powerful. It has ended lives. People have committed suicide because of things that have happened on social media. Uh, it has ended celebrities. People who are very powerful in various spheres of our culture have been destroyed because of social media. So omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, not to the degree God is, but it is very God-like. And one of the aspects of what this technology does to us it can make you feel like you're omnipresent, okay? That when you're in line at the movies, for example, uh, you can also be scrolling through Instagram and seeing your friends who are hanging out at a restaurant. But what this can do is give us FOMO, right? This fear of missing out, of never actually getting to be present in the one place where your friends are, always wondering what else is going on. What else am I missing out on? That's anxiety. That's feeding anxiety. And, and then kind of what goes along with this is, is paranoia, which again falls under the spectrum of anxiety. That it can create this kind of competitive heart among you and your friends. That I've got to be the funniest. I've got to be the prettiest. 
I've got to be the most successful, however you define success, if that's athletics or academics. I have to have the most followers. Why didn't this person like my picture? Why didn't this person like my post? Why didn't this person reply? There are numerous ways in which technology is feeding our anxieties. And just asking yourself the question, how often do you feel worse when you've been on social media? Just thinking about that. Again, we cannot be anti-technology. That as Christians, we have freedom to enjoy social media platforms. Again, I have social media platforms. I'm not telling you, like, go throw your phone in the ocean this afternoon and delete all social media. That's not what I'm saying. But getting you to look at your heart and say, like, how is this making me feel worse? I mean, I'll tell you, Kurt Cooper, Joe Deegan, and I were in um, the living room the other day, and we were reading some comments um, on a social media platform. And we all said, like, we're getting angry about this comment. And it's making us feel worse. And we all talked about it and noticed this is why social media is the devil in many ways. It can make us feel anxious. And so I'm just saying that to tell you, like, be aware of that. I mean, all the research seems to to support this. Um, And so just being aware of how it can actually increase your anxiety. And so getting us to think, why not worry? Getting back to this question, when Jesus Christ himself is saying, Look, there's so much trouble to deal with each and every day. Now that yesterday, we looked at your schedules. You know, today, we're looking at, okay, all of these things that create, can create anxiety in our lives. Very serious issues that we're going to be dealing with. Why not worry? Right, look, I'm going to conclude by giving you these four reasons that kind of build off of each other that are so obvious we often miss them. Okay, they're so obvious, but they still need to be stated. Um, the first is this. Very simply, Jesus says not to. Okay, sometimes I know the most annoying answer your parents can give you is, because I said so. Okay, which that can be a biblical response, just for the, the record, um, because God has given them authority. Um, but when Jesus says something, and you can say, because Jesus said so, you don't need to be like, well, <laughs> he's Jesus. So when Jesus says, do not worry, we've got to listen to that. That Jesus knew, look, there are so many ways you're going to be tempted to be worried, but I'm just telling you, don't worry. We just need to trust him. And if you're a Christian, you're like, but why? Well, because he bled and died on a cross for you. That's why. So let's listen to this guy when he says, Do not worry. But then second, very obvious as well, it doesn't work. Okay? Jesus Christ, again, in Matthew 6, said, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? What he tells you is, look, all of your worry, whatever it is that's keeping you up at night, when you're in your bed and you're thinking about the next day and your mind is just churning it over, Jesus is saying, it's not helping you. That's not going to work. It's not going to fix anything by you just overthinking it, by you dwelling on it. And so really what he gets at here is this. He tells us not to worry first and foremost because it dishonors his father. Jesus tells us 
I mean, when he commands, do not worry, first and foremost, it's because he loves his father. Because he cares about his father's honor. And when we are worrying, we are showing a lack of trust in this good creator. That's why Jesus commands it. But then secondly, he commands it because it hurts you. Because guess what? Even though you may be here and you feel unlovable and you feel nasty, if you're a child of God, Jesus loves you. And Jesus cares for you. And Jesus knows if you feed your anxieties, you are going to hurt yourself. I mean, just Google the physical effects of anxiety and look at all of the physical effects that, that anxiety will have on you. And so you have to see, as we threw out earlier, the very first day that Jesus commanded, do not worry. It can sound kind of harsh. You have to know that command is rooted in love. He commands that because he loves his father and he loves you. And he's trying to care for you. And so again, clinging to this, seeing this, I know we, we need to, to wrap up, but no, tomorrow we're going to talk about seven kind of practical things to do, to, to be dealing with our worry as we, crazy, our last day is tomorrow and then we're all headed back home. Um, so let me close this out in prayer and you guys can head out. Father, we again, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that there are so many questions that come up from pain, from suffering in this world. So many things that confuse us. But to see that even though your word doesn't downplay those things, it, it talks about the persecution that we'll deal with, the variety of forms that our pain, that our anxieties will take, that you still give us encouragement, you still give us grace in the midst of this world. I pray that we would cling to the reality of who you are, uh, that we'd cling to the reality of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would begin to see more and more of how your gospel speaks to this issue, how your gospel ultimately fixed this issue, how your gospel ultimately killed our anxieties. And we cling to that truth and that hope in the midst of a world that can be very worry-filled. God, give us the grace for the rest of the day to live as followers of you, live in a way that's pleasing to you, for your glory. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.